research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power. Our co-host, as always, is Eric Eggers. Eric, great to see you. Hey, thanks so much, Peter. It's great to be here. Looking forward to a free-flowing conversation. Well, Eric, you just need to shut up. I've wanted to say that for a long time. We're actually going to discuss censorship today. Oh, thank goodness. For a minute, I thought you were back on your post-COVID steroids. <laughs> Re- yeah. Reorienting the equation of your typical passive-aggressive demeanor. I could, I, could always, I could always dream that I'm back on those steroids. Censorship, it seems like, is all around us. Um, it pops up everywhere. They certainly have the organized, powerful corporate censorship related to the Hunter Biden laptop, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It was blocked on Twitter. It was blocked by the major media. But the other examples as well as censorship out there. Yeah, I think this is a really important point because of the the nature of the way we consume information. There are certain gatekeepers that that keep things from entering into the mainstream discourse. A lot of them are big tech, but the Hunter Biden laptop is a great example. Conversations about the election in 2020, and we're we're seeing that that's become more relevant now. Uh, You got the Ginny Thomas situation, which we'll discuss, and people are suggesting that she should be censored um, concerns. Anybody wants to articulate a viewpoint about transgender athletes or things related to that. That's a very controversial topic, but some of those viewpoints are being actively stifled. And so you're right. There's a, a, you know, it's free speech in many ways, but in many ways, uh, there's certain areas where there's definitely things you can't say. Yeah, that's right. And what we mean by censorship is actually blocking somebody's ability to speak. Censorship is not saying, I disagree with you, you're wrong, or even calling somebody a name like stupid. Uh, You could even say telling somebody to shut up is not censorship. It's actually having the power to halt somebody from talking. I just want to say, though, that when you told me to shut up, I received that as violence. <laughs> now, what if I'd slapped you? Oh, well, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get All to that. Will Smith. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's interesting as we were talking about this uh, topic and discussing how we we're going to approach it. I remember a book that I read years ago. I'm going to show my age. It was a book that came out in 1992 by a guy named Nat Hentoff. He was a writer for The Village Voice. You know what's sad, though, is you say 1992, <laughs> and I don't think it's that long ago, right? I mean, so that, what does that say about me? Yeah, you are kind of right behind me oh, in that. You are exactly right. Uh, but Nat Hentoff wrote for The Village Voice. He was a very left-wing guy, uh, and he wrote a book called Free Speech for Me, But Not for Thee. Uh, and it was a fascinating book because what he basically argued is that some people censor uh, out of legitimate offense. Uh, you know, in other words, obscene content in his view should be censored and you can have a debate about what is uh, uh, obscene. I know it when I see it. You know, it when you see it. Right. And I and you've seen a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the point that he made is that there are very few people that are actually absolute defenders of the, of the First Amendment as intended, uh, that usually people use censorship as a political weapon. And Hentoff not only wrote about this, he actually lived it. This is a guy who 
was left wing. He was Jewish, but he actually defended the rights of American Nazis to mark, march in Skokie, Illinois back in 1977, which was a very famous case. And his point was, let the guys march. They don't have attractive ideas. They're not attractive people. Uh, you know, we have to trust people enough to know that this will not be appealing to them. Well, that's kind of the whole point of what's happening now, right? Is by censoring things, you're basically saying we don't trust the American people right. to be, you know, arbiters of the marketplace of ideas. We don't trust that they'll come to the right conclusions. And so we're going to help them make the decision. You know, you like to quote these fancy literary types. I'm <laughs> more of a blue collar. I don't know if quoting Aaron Sorkin is blue collar. <laughs> but, 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 that's, <laughs> that's no collar. He wears those $400 t-shirts. This is me not LA. making a recreational pharmaceutical joke. But th- but there's a line in the script that he wrote, uh, The American President, which I think is a good movie. You apparently disagree. I but didn't think it was so great, but Michael, that's okay. Michael Douglas, Net Benning. But, uh, you know, he's got a, a line in there. It says, America isn't easy. America's advanced citizenship he's like you want free speech let's see you acknowledge a man whose word makes whose words make your blood boil yeah who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours i mean that's that's, that's point, very well right? that's very well put very well put. you want to back I, off did, your opinion did, of the film now did michael douglas de- deliver those he absolutely did he did during an impromptu kind of press conference thing he's defending you know rich Richard Dreyfus has been attacking that Benning the whole movie. So it's, it's a very powerful scene. <laughs> yeah, Richard Dreyfus, he's really an intimidating figure, <laughs> isn't he? But it seems like with censorship, there are two basic premises that, that are in operation um, that I think are so important to recognize as to why it happens and why it's so troubling. The first one is uh, that censorship, the assumption behind it is that you and I regular people are too stupid to think for ourselves, that the marketplace of ideas is a dangerous place. uh, And you need to stop me from hearing certain things because I'm so stupid, I might actually believe them. And these ideas can be dangerous because they reflect an idea that I don't agree with, or they can reflect the view that somebody is saying something that's not true. Uh, And this, you know, this idea that people are too stupid rests on the arrogance that the censor is smarter than the average American. And in their defense though, right? Don't, don't, haven't they earned the benefit of the doubt? Wouldn't you say that their credibility has been enhanced lately? I mean, think about, you know, with the Hunter Biden laptop, thank God we were protected from that. <laughs> right. And uh, like, what else? Oh, Russiagate, right? I mean, right. I mean, has it not been proven that Donald Trump was in fact an agent of the, the right. Russian administration? Right. I mean, it, it's funny because their whole assumption is we are the ones that are going to figure out what is truth and what is not truth. And on the two biggest political <laughs> stories in the last half decade, the Russiagate claim and the Hunter Biden laptop, they were completely and totally 180 degrees wrong on both of them. Well, I think that's why this is an important topic to talk about. Like right now, specifically, the last podcast we did was actually about the Hunter Biden laptop and how yeah. the New York Times concession and legitimization of that story. And we talked about all the different ramifications and meanings of that. But this is a much larger I think, right. takeaway because that's an example of, hey, not just what ma- what matters by the fact that Hunter Biden's doing business and maybe Joe Biden's helping Hunter Biden do business with some of these people on the international stage, but a story that was kept out of the national narrative, right. a story that could have absolutely shaped the election yes. in 2020. And in fact, maybe its exclusion did shape the election in 2020. What does that say about the gatekeepers and the power they've assumed and the impact that has on the narratives that we just, I mean, 
to be on, not to reference the film that we did, but we did this film, the creepy line, which is available on Amazon, by the way. And, uh, but that's basically about like the soft power of the gatekeepers of information. Right. You don't know what you don't know because you don't know what's being kept from you. That's exactly right. And, and so this first assumption about the arrogance that you are too stupid to know what you need to do. That's part of the motivation. But I think the second motivation is that they use uh, censorship. They dress it all up nice that we're trying to you know, protect the truth or whatever, but it's really a way to censor your opponents. It's a way of preventing information you don't want to come out to come out. And I think when you look at some of the issues we're going to discuss today, some of the topics, the Hunter Biden laptop issues related to voter fraud, the censorship is really not because they actually honestly are trying to get to the truth, uh, and get rid of misinformation, whatever that means. Uh, it's more about them wanting to restrict because the censorship always seems to end on one side, right? right. You don't see a lot of people on the left uh, getting censored or being angry. They're being censored by these large companies or by the media. Uh, it's, it's generally directed at one side of the political equation. So that's the assumption behind them. Let's talk about some of the cases um, that are out there that that are examples of sort of a press for censorship or an effort to try to silence people. Well, let's talk about it, too, in the context of and I think this is the point I wanted to make about the Hunter Biden stuff and the fact that it's been legitimized. Like the stories that are being censored today, like just as a thought experiment, what if we now assume that just like the Hunter Biden laptop story, just like the Russiagate story, that that this actually, they actually might be true, that they shouldn't be being censored right, right now. Right, right. And that's the purpose of a marketplace of ideas, right. right? It's like if you go into a marketplace to buy things and there's six or seven vendors selling products, mm -hmm. you as a consumer are smart enough to decide, I want that one, I don't want that one, that looks shoddy, that doesn't look shoddy. Same people are capable of doing the same thing with ideas. I'm not saying everybody's going to do that, but the vast majority of people are. And the problem is, is they don't want to trust people to do that. So there's an irony to Clarence Thomas being in the hospital and his wife being in the news right now, because yeah. for years, like what was Clarence Thomas the most famous for? Not talking, right? right. Keeping the lowest profile. Right. His decisions uh, were what they were, and he's become the de facto you know, head of that faction of the court now, but he's done it without speaking publicly, and he's kind of kept, you know, his he's curated his own brand. His wife, as the wife of a Supreme Court justice, has had her own thing. And so it's interesting that she's now in the news for what exactly? Well, she's in the news because she uh, was very outspoken about the 2020 election, um, feeling that it was stolen uh, uh, by the Biden camp uh, against Donald Trump. And she was texting. Uh, she was saying this publicly, by the way, at meetings, et cetera. She was also texting uh, with the White House chief of staff at the time, Mark Meadows, you know, to stand firm, you know, fight for election integrity, et cetera. And what's happening now is there's a push to censor her and they're using this as a weapon as a cudgel to get to clarence thomas which to me is absurd on a couple levels and this is an example of uh the second assumption we talked about above where you're trying to silence your opponents because they have ideas you don't like uh and you know this one is really particularly funny to me because you know a spouse is allowed to have their own opinions you can have your own views mine certainly does yeah <laughs> You, you want to talk about that? Not instead? right. No, that's one thing I will be censored about, actually. I'll keep that one. But in the case of Ginny Thomas, she's allowed to have her own views. And people are saying that this is going to affect Clarence Thomas's views. Let's remember that the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the 2016 election very vocally came out and condemned Donald Trump. That's, she herself did it, not her husband. Right. Uh, and yet 
She didn't recuse herself from any cases involving the Trump administration. Um, and I would argue that she probably shouldn't have to. And who's been one of the biggest critics of the Clarence Thomas, Jenny Thomas issue right now from a judicial standpoint? Well, it's a great question. So there Thank is you. there is an esteemed uh, professor, Stephen Gillers at New York University, uh, and he has come out uh, and said that, um, quote, don't ask, don't tell is not an acceptable strategy for the Thomas's marriage. Both have crossed the line and deserve no benefit of the doubt. Now, what's interesting about Gillers uh, is that he's talked about this issue of judges and their spouses in the past, but when it involved left wing judges, he didn't have a problem. This is what he said in 2013. We are long past the day when a wife's opinions are assumed to be the same as her husband's. Wasn't talking about the Thomases, was talking about a liberal judge, Stephen Reinhardt, in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, and the, the controversy there was he was hearing a case involving the American Civil Liberties Union, and his wife was the executive director of the ACLU in Southern California, which is in the same district where his court represents. But in that particular case, Gillers did not have a problem with the spouse of the judge having strong opinions. So this to me is a ridiculous example of using censorship. You wrap it up in sort of some high-minded ethical argument, but it's really, you're just trying to create a political weapon and people need to call guys like Gilders and others who have these inconsistent standards out on this issue. And they're basically trying to cancel Clarence Thomas, who, oh, by the way, happens to be the only African-American member of the court right now. Correct. Over texts. And phone calls and opinions his wife held a year ago. Right, exactly. No, and and you know the the problem is we just had a Supreme Court justice and confirmation hearing say she can't determine whether a you know a, a per, can't define a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. um, so you know who knows where this is going to go on representation on the court and everything else. But do you think her husband on the one hand was like, "Come on, babe, you come on, you know." <laughs> Babe, you know, <laughs> the, the great follow up question in the, that case would have been after the senator asked, how do you define a, a man or a woman? And she said, I can't. I'm not a bio biologist. The follow up question should have been, are you a woman? That would have been the logical follow up question, because one of the reasons she was picked was, of course, that that Joe Biden said he wanted a black female as judge. So she might have disqualified herself right there, uh, not claiming it. But anyway, we're going on an aside. The Ginny Thomas case is an example of censorship. Another big one, and you have a lot of involvement in this, is the issue of voter fraud. And I'm happy to talk about voter fraud, but just to be clear, you basically just said you're smarter than all the other senators that didn't ask that question. <laughs> I don't want to let that go. I have the advantage of hindsight. <laughs> I have the advantage of hindsight two days after the <laughs> fact. True. But the voter fraud story is interesting because it is an important, substantive issue. Yeah. In my mind, there seems to clearly have been examples of voter fraud, but it's hard to get your hand around. Did it affect the election? Well, I mean, it's hard to know based on the evidence because it's so nefarious. Uh, but this is something you're not allowed to talk about on social media. They censor it. The big media suppresses any discussion on it. But you would argue, based on your research, you wrote a great book called Fraud that, that predicted widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election. Uh, but there's a lot of evidence here that substantial evidence that is being ignored because they're censoring this story. Well, just to be clear, we, you know, to, let's go back. I mean, who's not on Twitter anymore? Mike Lindell is no longer on Twitter <laughs> right? because he's been totally deplatformed because right. he was right. a staunch advocate of raising questions about election integrity. No less than the former president of the United States, but then the actual president of the United States, no longer on Twitter, right? Yep. Donald J. Yep. Trump. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, it's been pointed out that uh, Vladimir Putin still on Twitter. He right? is. They, they and the Ayatollah, account. the Ayatollah. 
Right. I don't know if Kim Jong Un is. I don't know if they have Twitter. In North By the way, Korea, that'd, be, but... that'd be like a list that'd be interesting. Like, who are the worst people on Twitter? Right. right? right. Like, no, you are the biggest scumbags, and you still get to be on. Yeah. But to the point, lots of people have been deplatformed. I mean, Parler, right? Even this alternative platform, they were taken off of Apple servers because right. they were right. over like trying to create a venue by people could advocate. So the idea, like, hey, we want to be an avenue for sp- free speech, and some of the tech companies like, well, right. not using us, you're not going to. Yeah, be. and you're not allowed to have a conversation about a very substantive issue, and you can think. That, that the entire voter fraud claim is bunk. Right. But why not at least have the conversation? And it's important to think through, I mean, there was lots of indications leading up to the election that yep. there was there was at least reason to give pause and consideration about, hey, how closely were these things followed? I mean, forget about the fact that elections were for the first time not conducted in a politically sterile environment. That is to say, you had political operatives actively participating in the process of collecting and receiving and then delivering ballots, which is unprecedented historically. You had way more ballots conducted via absentee and mail-in ballots, which any number of bipartisan studies have shown are by far the most susceptible to fraud and other less legitimate outcomes. So like that all happened. We're conducting the election. So we know, okay, it's not unfair to to raise questions. And in fact, we were even told leading up to the election, hey, just remember guys, like it was on news scrolls. It was on banner ads on any website you went to. The election results may take a while. This means that things are operating exactly as they're supposed to. <laughs> right. Okay. Right, I guess right. I'll go do my two minute hate now. You know, like, <laughs> right. So that all happened. And then once the, the winner was declared, then all of a sudden, boom, hey, it's yeah. done. It's over. There's no room for anything. And of course, we now know after the fact that there's lots of reasons to continue asking questions. We did a podcast with Molly Hemingway, who wrote a great book, Rigged. Yep. yep. My second favorite book on election fraud, by the yep. way. Yeah. What's and, your first? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say my grandma's favorite, <laughs> but it, you know, so, and she, you know, 400 pages of lots yeah. of substantive issues. We talked about it with her and now just this week. So it's interesting again, that we're having this conversation about topics that have been censored. People are being censored and information that suggests that maybe we shouldn't have been censoring them in the first place. Right. Two new studies raising incredibly important questions about what happened in the election of 2020. Uh, True the Vote, which is a great organization been dedicated to election integrity for a long, a long time. They use cell phone data to kind of ping these people that they knew were collecting and delivering ballots. And so they're saying that they found out in Wisconsin's largest cities, at least 137,000 absentee ballots were cast through unlawful vote trafficking through several of these big cities. Wow. So, I mean, because again, there's certain states where the process of third parties going and collecting and receiving and delivering ballots is allowed. And sometimes it's not. And this is ballot harvesting? Ballot harvesting, but you also have these drop box collection centers. Right, And right. so that's been one of the main issues that people have been trying to, to look at. We've done analysis here at the Government Accountability Institute about where drop boxes were placed in certain key areas. We looked at Georgia and Fulton County and we saw, oh my gosh, like the, the drop boxes were put in overly, like not even close, disproportionately Biden favored areas. No, and they led yeah, to yeah. dramatic increases. And that's not even fraud. That's just like, hey, it's, yeah. a, it's clear political bias in terms of where we're putting things to collect ballots. What this study is showing from True the Vote and elsewhere is the people that were actually then delivering the ballots. Their cyber expert, Greg Phillips for True the Vote, said, quote, this is an organized crime against Americans. They did a 15-month study of election practices in Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Michigan, and they estimate that at least 4.8 million votes were trafficked nationally. Oh, wow. Right, and again, this huge number. Trafficking suggesting, I mean, look, either election laws matter or they don't. Right. And what they're suggesting is we've got some data to suggest that some election laws were violated. And why not have a conversation about that? What 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 are they afraid of? Right. 
what are they afraid of? The, the American people's mind is too fragile. They might be misled. They might get confused. I mean, these are the kind of substantive issues you want to have deep, open conversations about. Well, and to be clear, like, th- these findings are not as of yet being censored, but what they do is validate the suspicions that were censored right. leading up to and in the immediate aftermath of the election. Right. Because, of course, January 6th happens, and so people think, oh, this is you know, this treasonous effort to overtake the country. I mean, what would you call an election that was fraudulently conducted and then no one was able to ask questions or follow right. up, investigate about it? Right. That sounds familiar when you look at other countries that have, quote unquote, uh, free elections. Ours are free, I, I would argue, but they don't want to have discussions about these fundamental things. And that was just one ish, uh, one study from True the Vote. Another new pending research paper from a guy named John Lott that's going to be in the Journal of Public Choice yep. will be published shortly. And it says that it has evidence of 255,000 excess votes possibly as many as 368,000 for Joe Biden's six swing states. They did a different level of statistical analysis. They basically said, all right, we're going to look at what the statistics should prove based on these different trends. And this is the key thing. And this is this a peer-reviewed study. So the statistical modeling analysis, it actually has been criticized once by some Stanford professors. So the guy took it down. He reworked the data. He's putting it back up. But he's finding um, you know, hundreds of thousands of votes, more than the potential margin of right. victory in specifically areas where voter fraud was alleged. So again, these are new studies, statistically significant findings that validate views that were censored that have profound, just like the Hunter laptop, Hunter yeah. Biden laptop story, profound national importance and could have impacted the election in 2020. Yeah. And there were examples of censorship. Uh, the Claremont Institute's American Mind podcast on uh, election fraud was actually removed right? Uh, because they even dared to raise these questions. So uh, it's very, very clear. This is one of those substantive, important issues you have to have an open conversation about. When you censor like this, it creates greater suspicion. It does not create greater confidence, it creates greater suspicion. I think, among a lot of people. Now, let's, dare I say, transition Uh-oh. to another topic. What a pro. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm working on it. Um, to the issue of, of, of trans uh, issues as it relates to swimming and schools and everywhere else. This has been a uh, really, really um, heated discussion. And again, you're not allowed to say certain things. Uh, to give you an example, a lot of people are familiar with uh, the, uh, the uh, swimmer. Uh, Leah Thomas, um, who uh, is biologically male, who is now swimming as a woman in the women's uh, NCAA for the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, And there's been a lot of censorship on this issue. Um, In February, a letter by 16 of Thomas's teammates was supportive of her new identity, but said that, quote, biologically, Leah holds an unfair advantage in the women's category, you know, end quote. Now, This was not only not allowed to spread on platforms, the 16 teammates Mm -hmm. that signed this letter actually refused to put their names on it because they feared retribution. So this is another form of censorship, which is physical intimidation. The uh, the attempt to say, we don't have the power to prevent somebody from writing a letter, but we can scare them into not wanting to sound sign their name on what is a very important issue that we need to be discussing and debating, especially the actual athletes that are being affected by this decision that the NCAA made to allow this individual to compete in women's uh, swimming. Yeah. So, and we're basically talking about, and I think you raised a great point is that by stifling the viewpoint, it, it doesn't make it go away, right? right. It just drives it underground. And I would argue that the people want to complain about the 
views and cultural ascension that maybe Donald Trump's presidency legitimized or encouraged in some way. I actually think it's possible that the opposite's true. I think it's possible that what encouraged the ascension of these cultural viewpoints is the active stifling Absolutely. of the platforms that prevent them from actually being aired. Because if, if you had a place where you could just say it, then people have to be subject to the market forces of people's reaction. Right, right. exactly. So if you don't allow people to say it, then it's like it only exists in these shadows where the other people will whisper it together. And to the extent that there are views, and look, there's lots of views out there that aren't socially acceptable that should be rejected. Does that mean they should be censored? No. Right. It means they should be viewed and aired, and then people should be made. I mean, there's something called the disinhibition effect that psychologists ooh, have noted. Ooh, what's this? Yeah, it's a, well, it's a multisyllabic word that you can't say <laughs> is what it is. So <laughs> I'm not up. even going to try. So back off, number one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what it, but what it is is basically like it, people are much more comfortable saying things on a keyboard on a screen than they would be in yeah. an in-person conversation. Makes sense. And the reason for that is because you don't have to receive in-person interaction. You don't have to receive any kind of actual body language. You don't get that immediate feedback. Right. And so that's, I mean, so in a way we're sort of creating an additional level of disinhibition effect by not allowing spaces for people to say objectionable things or controversial things and then having to face the consequences of it. I actually think that's exacerbating the divide in this country as much as anything else. Yeah, well, exactly. And on this same topic of, of trans issues and debating, this whole question of I mean, my God, are we actually debating in this country the definition of a woman? Right. Uh, but that's where we are as a country culturally right now. The other example was uh, Rachel Levine, who was given the award of Woman of the Year. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this, of course, is a Biden administration official who was born a man who is now transitioning uh, to uh, being a woman. And the Babylon Bee, which is a hilarious uh, uh, satire account. Note to Twitter, it's a satire account. It's supposed to be humorous, ironic, and funny. Uh, they actually put a tweet out on this, a sort of parody story, and Twitter blocked their account. They blocked the account of a satire. Account. It wasn't offensive. It wasn't rude. It wasn't you know, sexualized in any way, they censored it. And this is an example, again, of the fact that you're not allowed to have a conversation about something. One side is allowed to espouse their views. Those who say people decide whether they're a man or a woman, there's no biological connection to it. People who want to question that are not allowed on these platforms. Uh, and if they are say, stating these views on college campuses, they're shouted down. They're intimidated. Well, that's maybe the best part about the uh, the thing that happened at the Oscars with Chris Rock and Will Smith, right? Because <laughs> so think about this. One of the reasons why the, the views about trans people, their joke about Rachel Levine is being censored is because oh, because there's, there's this concept of free speech is violence. Right. 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 And what I think the Oscars <laughs> just showed us is, no, there's a very real difference <laughs> between right. free speech right. and a joke and actual violence. Right. And right. So, you know, so if, in case it was unclear, just go back and watch the Oscars, or at least that portion. Right. It's interesting to me, by the way, that incident, you know, more people have commented on that that actually watched the Oscars. Mm -hmm. um, it, to me, is a cultural touchstone. And the fact that people have strong views, as they should, on these kinds of issues. But you're exactly right. There are people who were more offended by Chris Rock, who is <clears throat> a comedian, yep. making a joke. They're more offended by that than a gentleman walking up on the stage to a smaller gentleman and striking him in front of the public. There are more people offended by the words than they actually are of the physical intimidation. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. And look at the reaction of the actual comedians, because, you know, right. if there's one thing comedians stand up for all day long is free speech. Right. And on behalf of small people, I would say, you know, <laughs> I don't appreciate us getting picked on. <laughs>
You don't have to laugh that hard at that. <laughs> no, I thought it was I thought it was very funny and very accurate as, as, <laughs> as humor and satire often is. So I guess as we look at all of these issues, um, what brings them all together in my mind are a couple of things. First of all, uh, very rarely is this being done, is censorship being pushed out of a public interest. That's what they say. That's what they claim. We're trying to get at the truth. The process of truth, as Socrates taught us, is a Socratic method. You ask questions, you have a conversation. You can't have a conversation if only one side is actually allowed to talk. Is that what you think Socrates taught us? Well, he taught us several things, but mostly yeah. like check the expiration date on that hemlock, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that the 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 date of the hemlock is what killed him. I'll I agree to disagree. The, the nature of the hemlock. But anyway, it's the Socratic method, and that's the basis of I think getting to the truth, the notion that we can achieve some semblance of the truth is a conversation. And we're in this weird place right now where the left, on the one hand, you've got students at Yale Law School, if you remember, who were shouting down and protesting the presentation by conservative scholars at Yale Law School who were discussing their legal theories. The, the law students are screaming and yelling that they're offensive and, and that they should be silenced. But at the same time, the left is arguing that teachers should be discussing sexual issues with second graders. So this conversation at a law school among adults is too dangerous but actually discussing sexual issues with second graders who are not your own children uh, is okay. That, to me, is the, the perfect illustration of the fact this is about an intimidation weapon. This is not about trying to garner truth or being sensitive. That is a good illustration, but I feel like we're capable of a better one. If only you okay. had another sort of obscure quote that no one's ever heard of to kind of bring it home. Oh, you mean as opposed to quoting a film <laughs> script like you did? I'm going to quote Clark Kerr, the former University of California president. Oh, that Clark Kerr. That okay, Clark yeah. Kerr, not Clark Kent. I know your film guy, Clark Kerr. When he said, quote, the purpose of a university is to make students safe for ideas, not ideas safe for students. And I think we've got it absolutely backward today. Um, and it's frightening because this is going to repercussions on the future course of the country, our culture, and the kind of leaders we pick. The censorship problem is so substantial, it affects the kind of leaders that we get because I think it influences elections. I'm actually so concerned because we had so much free speech in this podcast. I do feel like to the extent that speech is violence, folks are about to get hurt if they download this bad boy. <laughs> That's right. This was this is the Taekwondo of podcasts. Right? Well, I always say in my in my family, I'm familiar with the concept of speech as violence because in my family, conversation is absolutely a contact sport. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. Well, we hope you enjoyed the time here with us on the podcast. You can find our other podcasts at thedrilldown.com. Uh, please do pick up Eric's book, Fraud on Election Fraud, which predicted. Uh, the widespread fog that I would argue occurred in 2020. And you can also pick up a copy of my number one New York Times bestseller, Red Handed. Thanks so much for joining us. Mm -hmm.